Welcome to TV Times 3, episode 335. On this episode, we've got some cancellation and renewal news, and then we'll be discussing Mr. Robot as we've uh, hit the halfway point of season two, and then we'll be talking about the season two finale of Unreal and the first season of Stranger Things. Plus, we've got some TV recommendations at the end. You can find the full show notes with start times for each segment at tvtimes3.com slash 335. I'm Jason the TVaholic from tvaholic.com, and this week I have joining me... Hi, I'm Jennifer. I am a writer for The Televixen, and I also have a podcast with Melissa from The Televixen called TVPOV. And this is Kate Kalzik from The Televerse and The AV Club. Thank you both for joining me this week to talk a little TV. Always glad to be here. Thanks for having me back. I, I'm always like waiting for you to just be like, never invite me back because I talk way too much, Jason. But I appreciate <laughs> being, it's always fun to, uh, talking TV with you. And it's wonderful to internet meet you, Jennifer. You as well. Talking TV with new people. That's always a special treat. Mm-hmm. Well, Kate, it's always, uh, it's more of your schedule <laughs> with when we <laughs> we normally record that doesn't always work, so... Yeah, well, you know, we're at the very end of the summer here. I have to go back to my normal school year work schedule, which means I'll be watching everything time shifted. So, because I, I work at night, I teach violin, uh, you know, and I and I'm a gigging violinist. So that's all evening stuff. And so uh, I will be back to avoiding Twitter and <laughs> you know, just not seeing people. I'm like, who wants to go to a movie at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday? Everyone's working. Okay, I'll watch all the TV. Good times, but it's still the summer right now, so I'm glad I, I could be here. <laughs> well, that sounded uh, a bit like uh, you here recently, Jennifer, with uh, trying to not get spoiled on the Olympics and watching everything later. Yes, yes, I had to avoid not just the, the social media, but basically all family and friends. So uh, <laughs> nobody say anything. That's that's my one rule. Anything on TV that's not sports right now. <laughs> yeah, I did like your. Uh, yeah, if you want to go out to eat, pick a restaurant without a TV. <laughs> well, I, was, okay, I had to walk out of the room at my fiance's house because, and it's kind of rude because his parents were sitting there and we were greeting them, but they had a TV on in the background. I was like, um, I'm just going to head out into the hallway like a total freak because I literally can't be spoiled right now. It's once every four years, though. I'm not so crazy about the Winter Olympics, which I know is a little bit sacrilegious because I'm Canadian and we're supposed to be all about snow. But the Summer Olympics are just a lot more fun. And every four years, I just go a little bananas with the PVR. And I just I watch every single thing that I can get my hands on. So, <laughs> Has there been a highlight for you so far? It's cliche, but it would still have to be the men's 100. I'm obsessed with Usain Bolt. I mean, I just have such special memories of 2008 and 2012 and those first medals that he won. And the Canadians eked out a bronze, which was really exciting. And, and you guys got uh, silver, I believe, with um, Justin Gatlin. I believe you. Yes. The main <laughs> thing I know about that, is that the race where we got that amazing picture that's been going around? I don't know. We probably have different memes for for you have probably American memes and we've got Canadian memes. We probably don't speak the same Olympic language right now. It's this great, great photo of Usain Bolt uh, looking back and just with this insane grin on his face. And he's like a, a solid full body length ahead of everybody else in his heat. And they're all blurry because they're all running so fast. But he's just like, <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, so and ahead of you guys. <laughs> It was actually a little tighter for him than it normally is. So that's really, that's that even like imagine that times 
I think it was eight years ago, that times two. He was so far ahead in the, in the hundred. That's insane. But there's been lots of fun stuff. I just, I just really get into it, uh, you know, just kind of tracking what, how my country's doing and, and picking up on all the little feel-good stories and the, the surprises. It's, it's a bit of drama. It's a plot. I do like plots. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done this in a while, but I'm going to spring it on you, Jennifer. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> Since you're first-time guest. I was thinking about this the other day. We used to do this when somebody come on for the first time. But what was the like TV show or something that sort of turned you into the big TV fan that you are today? Like, was there a show growing up or? Oh, you know, that's kind of a that's kind of a tough question. But I think it's a little bit twofold. There were shows that I loved that turned me into obsessive fans of shows. So I think the first one was probably Road to Avonlea. I don't know if you guys know that, um, being in America. Yes. How Canadian I'm being. Um, but yeah, that was like a family show that I watched with my, um, my parents growing up. And then it was followed by not on the same channel, but like an hour later, uh, we used to watch Lois and Clark, the new, the new adventures of Lois and Clark. Yes. Um, and then I really got into, I think Buffy was the first show that I was obsessed with. But I feel like the show that actually turned me into kind of an overall TV fanatic was Lost, which is a little bit late, but I was kind of more of a, like, obsessed with music in um, high school. I had to be obsessed with something. That's the thing. You had to be obsessed with something. But uh, it was more music than anything else. And I think after Lost and that kind of whole year with Desperate Housewives and Grey's Anatomy and this, I started reading a lot about television and getting exposed to, um, you know, ratings and the business and kind of the whole game of it all. And I started following it more closely. And then by the year after that, I was just kind of watching everything and just expanded from there as we continued to have more and more avenues to watch it. So that was the one that kind of, I think, turned me into a crazy person. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And on that note, we'll, uh, we'll move on to the news. A few little things here. First up, uh, CBS has renewed Big Brother for a 19th and a 20th season, which is not really a surprise because that's probably just going to continue to play every summer forever, right? That's uh, uh, And then I guess the more surprising one is that uh, Zoo is still around and is going to get a third season. So It's apparently the highest rated summer scripted show I read um, on, on the broadcast networks anyway, um, which is uh very weird yeah i still i think it i wonder if people watch it like they were watching uh, under the dome after a while yeah. where it's more it's more like the unintentional comedy of the whole thing that uh, makes it interesting or uh, i don't know i i couldn't get past the uh, first first episode that was one that was enough for me oh god yeah although it was it was really entertaining for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, well, maybe that's maybe that's enough <laughs> in the middle of the summer, I guess, on on broadcast. I mean, well, it's James Wolk, so I mean, that's kind of enough right there. <laughs> if we're honest, it's Bob Benson, so there's ridiculous, uh, like a uh, just animals plotting and everything. So I feel like it's a good balance of absurdly ridiculous and aware that it is such uh, and there's nothing else on so that, like it really if you don't want to watch big brother <laughs> you know there's only so many choices and you bob benson so why wouldn't you watch zoo says the person who watched one episode of zoo ever yeah. well 
it's probably, you know, when you say there's nothing else on, I think for a lot of people, it's still like that. We forget that a lot of people don't think about the cable options or, or maybe not even the streaming options. So for them, they're just flipping between those six channels and really that is the only thing on. So I feel sad for them, but it might be true. Yeah, for the most part, I mean, CBS is is the only, I mean, there, I guess there's been a couple of other things. Uh, ABC had a, a couple of things, I guess, and... Uh, but CBS, for the most part, is the only thing that's had some actual scripted shows yeah. on the broadcast networks uh, over the summer. Of course, there's uh, Beauty and the Beast on uh, the CW. I'm sure everybody was watching that. <laughs> <laughs> My fiance actually worked on the fourth season of that in, uh, in Toronto on the set. And so he, he, he tried to watch it while he was working on it like he the first the first season to see what it was like and he was like i can't watch this show um and uh, but he might check out some of the fourth season because just because like oh that that day that day that's yeah, exciting just yeah just from the, that, yeah. the more reminiscing of uh, oh yeah behind the scenes that day when we were filming this scene <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah apparently it was a wonderful set to work on you can watch it and get uh, some like behind the scenes commentary yeah, at the same yeah. time. <laughs> I don't have to pop in a DVD for that. Yeah. I'll just get in person, yeah. All right. And the next thing, we were talking a little bit about this uh, before we started recording, but Comedy Central announced today, as we're recording, that uh, they have canceled the nightly show with Larry Wilmore, uh, I guess, at the end of this week. I guess Thursday will be the the last episode of the nightly show. Yeah, I'm super bummed about this because um, I, I watch the I watch the nightly show uh, regularly, and so I, I don't watch it live, but I, I stream it uh, from on the Comedy Central app, and I just I watch I watch every episode because I, I feel like it's such an important and underrepresented voice that the show brings on. I mean, just how refreshing it is in the current political landscape, the craziness of this presidential election, and not even just the presidential, but just the overall political conversation heading into November. Uh, it's so essential to have a panel, or so wonderful to have a panel every every night, every weeknight except Fridays, where if there's a white person, they're the minority. It's just so beautiful to hear people who get get to express opinions that aren't normally given a platform and when you turn on pretty much any like cnn fox msnbc any of those there's there might be one or two people of color in a field of like seven uh, you know people who are brought on to have opinions and so it's been really wonderful for me uh, to to because i don't always agree with you know the opinions of the show or, or the different guests and everything but i'm always grateful to be exposed to different opinions and passionately held opinions and supported by facts and life experience opinions that i'm not hearing anywhere else so while we do still have full frontal with sam b on tbs and uh last week tonight with john oliver i'm really really gonna miss the perspective of larry wilmore and the 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 group of correspondents that they have but also the guests that they bring on on the nightly show and it's just they're having conversations that i don't feel like other spaces are really having other like venues for comedians and and uh you know politicians and just people in the public uh, sphere to to come on and, and really voice. So I'm I'm very disappointed that that is going off the air. But uh, I, as I recall, I, are, you, are either of you watching this at all? Have you watched any nightly show in the like year no, it's been it's on? Like, it's me really upset that I didn't watch it because it sounds really amazing and it it wasn't a conscious choice really. It's just I think 
with the night shows, I kind of wait for something to break out for someone to point my attention towards it. And then I kind of maybe will check it out. Like I, I kind of catch on maybe a, a year after because there's so many of them. Um, so I didn't really, I never really checked that one out properly aside from like little snippets here and there, but, uh, I'm kind of bummed now cause you're making it sound really fantastic. It's just, if when we can have, you know, Bill Mars had his, his panel show for what feels like forever oh, and yeah. Bill Simmons. Yeah. Especially if you go back and he had one on ABC before that. Yeah. <laughs> Why is there not space for a show like this? If it can't be a Comedy Central, then I, I would love if oh, if one of the premium networks would pick up something in this sphere. I mean, because, of course, W. Kamau Bell had his show uh, that w- that went to Nightly for a while um, before, but that also quickly deflated. It didn't have enough audience to, to, to get picked up. Yeah, that was one of the weirdest things that ever happened with, I mean, FX, they took it. And they moved it to their smaller channel, and were shocked. Yeah. <laughs> and were shocked that people didn't watch it or know. Well, it. and they took it from a weekly show to a nightly show. Just expected it to make that transition almost immediately, which that doesn't. You need a way more content. Here. And he was just getting into like you know it was his first time being a host or doing anything like that. He was just getting into what the you know what he wanted to do on the show when they mm-hmm. they wanted to change it and then also move it to FXX uh, which was you know sort of a a strange thing uh, the thing i'm surprised i'm not surprised that it you know got canceled or that that not a lot of people were watching it and that i never really heard much about it you never saw like snippets or clips pop up in my facebook feed or something like that from you know like something absolutely hilarious or something like that like happens with the uh you know with samantha b stuff all the time and with john oliver stuff and uh and, and then you know some of the regular you know nighttime you know talk shows and stuff like that but on the other hand like so it's not a surprise to me but what does surprise me is that they went this long and didn't at least go through the election with it yeah. like because this oh, is because yeah. this is the time of year where they used to uh i mean i was surprised to see that there wasn't much in like any special shows or anything that they were doing around the conventions and stuff like that uh you know we were talking about not that you want to uh necessarily repeat or do what other stuff but that was a huge thing they used to always do was their indecision whatever year you know when it was a big presidential election year all the daily shows. Yeah, they would yeah. have all kinds of, you know, either live shows uh, that were taking place after the convention or, uh, and they didn't seem to, none of the really, uh, the late night shows really, <laughs> except for like Colbert, like one time. And then he had to put his character <laughs> and give him a new name so that he could use it. Uh, yeah. be- because, uh, you know they were he was the only one that actually did something around the conventions really uh, but i i was surprised at that seeing that it was canceled but that they weren't going to it seems like they could have made a push through and seen if they could have made a splash or you know got something with all the political coverage or something like that uh, i agree you, i mean you look at the other way around tbs extended Samantha B to be, you know, through the end of the year, 
with, you know, basically like no breaks because of the political season. Yeah, the political season is is, is like the, the this kind of atmosphere is the, is really the best time for those late night shows. Kate, since you're the one who who really watched it a lot, why do you think it, it didn't make that splash in terms of the, you know, we were talking about the Facebook headlines and everyone, you know, sharing those clips of John Oliver specifically and Samantha B. Um, was it was it was it more subtle than they were, or is it just a different format that's hard to kind of, you know, send your friends, hey, did you hear what Larry Wilmore was talking about last night? Or or maybe it is a, a different like a, a, the voice of the minority that people aren't picking up on. Um, I think the biggest thing aside from the just it being voices minority voices that people either consciously or more slowly unconsciously are not listening for yeah. um, I think that's a significant element but also this is a show that has been much more interested in having a conversation than in being funny than in being like laugh out loud hilarious they're more interested in bringing people in like and Larry talking about the news um, for the first couple of segments and then having a panel and actually having a conversation about different things that are happening rather than punchlines. And so that is a lot harder to pull out into just a few minute long um, segments to, to go on YouTube, to go viral. And they also don't do the investigative journalism, uh, investigatory journalism in the delightful words of Zoolander, um, the, that, <laughs> that, uh, John Oliver or Sam B's shows have mm-hmm. done. There, there's, there's some, um, there's, there's some, it looks into things or, or dedicated segments, but because it's a, it's a show that's every night, they can't spend a week really cracking open, um, and digging into research for the, for extended segments. So instead what they were doing is again, having conversations about topics and especially underrepresented topics. Like one of the, <laughs> one of the first things that the show did was do uh, a big Cosby, uh, episode and 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 they they've kept coming back to the situation in Detroit with the water in Detroit um, consistently when nobody else has been talking about that and uh, so so this is the show that again wants wanted to do something different wanted to give a voice uh, in the the late night sphere to people not necessarily listened to or heard from. And so I think that's part of why you're not seeing it. A lot of times when people are looking at YouTube, they're not looking for a conversation. They're looking for something that will hopefully be entertaining, but also will support what they already believe. And I love that too. And have enjoyed the, I've really, really enjoyed uh, uh, full frontal. I think it's great. Uh, and I agree with a lot of what she says. So that makes it easy to appreciate, but, um, I think when people are, are circulating circulating things on on social media, they're not necessarily looking for here's three people who have who have different opinions about stuff. Let's listen to them debate. Yeah, that's that's probably true because that that is the thing you get even in a you know like a fifteen or twenty minute segment, you know that that they'll post for uh, John Oliver. People will sit and watch that because every thirty seconds there's a punchline, or even though he's making a point, there's still there's still a lot of laughs to be had, and so it's entertaining. And it is it is that that you said that the journal the investigative journal journalism part that maybe they weren't aware of, so they're watching a, a piece on something that they're learning more about. It that's it that's it sounds really really too bad that that um, they're canceling this show, and I. I I really hope that he does land on his feet somewhere else. I mean, I'm sure he'll land on his feet. He's amazing. But just that in that maybe in a talk show format as well, because I would love to check it out now. You've totally sold me on it. I, I, did, I really honestly did not know that much of what it was about. Um, I'd only seen 
minor clips of him doing the news segment stuff at the beginning. So I didn't realize how uh, conversationally based it was. And that sounds like something I would um, really appreciate, actually. I mean, because Bill Maher drives me bananas. I would like a new conversation. <laughs> <laughs> he's so aggressive and he's so um, close-minded, I find. I mean, he is a liberal and I'm a liberal, but he's close-minded. He doesn't he just he goes so far the other way, like he doesn't want to hear other people's opinions when it comes to disagreeing with him at all. And I feel like it's kind of more interesting to actually engage in a debate. And it sounds like that's what Larry Wilmore is doing with voices that you don't normally get to hear. So bummer. Yeah. Yep. I think it's very easy as um, I mean, uh, for me as a cis white you know, woman from the suburbs to not notice how um just how how white, but how how bubbled off you are. Your like what you're consuming is what your 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 media is, what your news outlets and your various, you know, even just your pop culture discussion is until you actively seek out different voices. And so for me, that's been a really the nightly show has been a really great way to just be aware of. Wait, have I looked? Am I just continually always clicking the same articles, always re- listening to the same three critics or um, political journalists or whatever? Or, or am I actively making sure I'm seeking out different opinions? Um, so I'm going to have to be more active on that because I can't just and funny people on the nightly show to to give me perspectives I might not have thought of. Yeah. But I'm bringing us down. <laughs> yeah, because we do live in in the day and age where you can basically everything's on demand, and so you can just create your own little bubble of what news you want to watch, what articles you want to read, what you know blogs you follow, uh, you know people you follow on on social media and stuff, and so you really can just easily reinforce whatever it is you already believe in. And that happens on all sides. Oh, it's you know, so easy to block out <laughs> throughout blocking reality, uh, the reality of both sides or two sides or gray areas. It's so easy to block out, especially gray areas <laughs> um, when you don't want to. See I them. have to say, I mean, we don't get political very often on this uh, podcast, but I always find it interesting on Facebook when I see people like, well, I just got rid of a bunch of people and it's all people that liked somebody else that they didn't like, politically oh, yeah. speaking. And you're just like, so you, you've just completely cut yourself off from ever hearing anything that might. Uh, you just go, oh, those people are crazy. I'm getting, I'm, I, I don't know, I'm getting rid of them. And I just find that, I find that bizarre a little bit because usually the people that are doing that are the people that espouse. The uh, being inclusive and everybody gets to play and uh, blah blah blah, and uh, and then they're the first people to eject <laughs> other opinions <laughs> out of their feed. Yeah, actually, I got I got uh, ejected, shall we say, from a friend's <laughs> Facebook feed. Um, like this is someone I was friends with in real life, and he literally <laughs> he literally refused to speak to me. I was friends with him for seven years, and I think we got into some kind of debate. I don't even know why, because he didn't really respond. But it had something to do with like Uber and like availability of Uber to everybody, and it was but it was like we had somewhat different opinions, but we're we're both coming from the same political sphere, even. But it was just like he's always he's known for like unfriending people for for you know varying political views, and he is like an extreme liberal. Um, and I'm I'm kind of on his side, but I I agree with you completely that it's like, are we going to judge people on mo on moments that like a, a Facebook post that they make or a I mean yes we're going to have a reaction, but 
maybe we should try to judge people on a, on a body of opinion and thought and interaction with them. And this is getting, this is right. This is getting very political. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, so you, you can, it, there are really big dangers behind that on demand world of being able to build your, your, your entire media universe, um, of your own making without having to, um, sit through or pay attention to anything that you disagree with. That's, that's for sure. And you do can. It's very easy to do it without even realizing that that's what you've done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. It's not always it's not always malicious and intent. It's just yeah, yeah, because we yeah. like what we like, and so we end up, you know, see that's that's the stuff we end up, uh, you know, we end up seeing or whatever. And the things like Facebook and Google uh, will adapt to go. Oh, you like these things? I'll just show you more of those. <laughs> that's what the Facebook algorithm does. It essentially yeah. is is creating our world to only exist what we already enjoy. Yeah, which is yeah. terrible. <laughs> oh God! Uh, wow, this yes. <laughs> and on that note, we'll move on to the next bit of news, which is that Fox has canceled Coupled. What, what one season. I don't even know about this. Is this a show? Is this is on right now? It was some sort of. Uh, I think it's has its finale this week or something. It was some sort of dating show I, I, <laughs> on an island or something. I don't even know. Oh, this is a reality show. Yeah, some sort some sort oh, okay. of reality show, uh, some sort of reality dating show or something like that. Apparently, it didn't work to uh, as well as you know Mark Burnett and Fox hoped it had would for the summer. But uh, so that's gone, and then. On the other side of things, Showtime has renewed Ray Donovan for a fifth season. That one's sort of a surprise to me because I don't remember hearing that a lot of people like watched the first season or liked the first season. <laughs> so it was sort of a surprise that it got a second season, which all subsequent renewals then become a shock to me <laughs> because that's the that's the way things work. But I guess it's become something that uh, has has worked for uh it's built on what it it didn't do in the first season yeah i mean i actually have heard quite positive things about it but but i haven't uh personally checked it out at all so i, I can't even i haven't even seen an episode of it yeah the pilot really was not for me and showed nothing of interest uh for 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 what i wanted to watch it felt very Similar to a million things I'd seen before, but but that's that was season one, episode one. So who knows what it's doing now? I know that Ian McShane keeps showing up in ads. I was like, you're trying to trick me into watching this show <laughs> that I'm almost positive is not for me. But I will wait for American Gods, sir or madam, <laughs> in the casting department. Um, but yeah, so it has super many multi Golden Globe nominee Ray Donovan. It keeps getting nominated for stuff, even just John Voight. So who knows? I have heard, I guess, subsequently that things have gotten better or that people that have stuck with it like it more now than, but, but yeah, it was, uh, I was sort of on board of the same place as you, Kate, when I watched the, I think I may have watched the first two or three, like the first season it came out and was just like, yeah, no, this is not, uh. There's no none of these characters interest me, to, you know, in, in, in that I want to follow them uh, around to find out, uh, you know, more about them and what they're doing. All right, that'll do it for our extended news segment today. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I said. It's I come on here and I just don't stop talking. And uh, we'll move on to prime time, which uh, 
only has three shows to talk about this week. See, I thought of Head, knowing who I ha- was having on <laughs> this week. <laughs> uh, but uh, first up, uh, Stranger Things, uh, season one from Netflix. It's been out for uh, a while now. Almost, I just, I think it's a month today. It was out July, July fifteenth. But it seems to be one that is sort of staying in, uh, you know, sort of the public consciousness a little bit longer than your average Netflix show. Uh, It uh, seems to be picking, you know, people keep hearing about it and talking about it and uh, it's getting other people to uh, to watch it, which thus keeps that going, which is sort of a an interesting phenomenon, because usually, you know, something drops, people talk about it for a week and then. They move on to something else, uh, even if they enjoyed the that Netflix show. Yeah, I think there's two kinds of shows with Netflix. There's the ones nobody has heard about. Therefore, they kind of drop. Some people watch them and then they disappear a little bit like Love and Flaked and other things that I can't even remember. Um, and the ones that everyone is anticipating. So they all watch them all at once and they kind of blow their blow their wad, so to speak, <laughs> with like. <laughs> With like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, right? Like everybody with, and and all the new House of Cards and things. When those come out, it's like everybody's talking about them, but they've all watched it right away. So it's all bam, and then it's over. But this one, I think, kind of was a little bit of a slow burn. Like it was anticipated by some people, but a lot of people, you know, probably just discovered it and then said amazing things about it. And it's just kind of carry like a chain reaction. So it's kind of cool to see that actually. Yeah, this is definitely one where, um, People didn't know necessarily the Duffer Brothers. I know I didn't. No, um, yeah. And uh, the most people knew was like uh, '80s Winona Ryder. Um, but that meant that we got to discover it and got to really have that experience, especially because there's so much nostalgia in, like, sort of baked into the show. It wants to not just remind you of the '80s, but feel like something from that time. Um, and, uh, and and so you got to really, if you are, I mean, I'm sure. Young younger people watching it who don't remember the 80s or don't remember watching 80s movies in the 90s, like I do, um, <laughs> would still enjoy it. But it feels very personal and very um, like when you're at least for me, when I was watching it, because I've seen the I watched the whole season over the course of like a couple days with my yeah. some of my, my siblings. And we had a like we just couldn't we had to like steal away from a family get together so we could watch more of it, that kind of thing. But it, it, it was very much a sense of discovery and of a shared experience. And then we were just out proselytizing for this show like crazy. Cause I think it's terrific. I think it's the discovery uh, of the year television wise. Um, there have been some other really great shows this, this calendar year. I mean, obviously a big one for me is um, the people versus OJ Simpson. Um, but that's one where it's, a, we all know about OJ already. So this is the one that for me, it's been the biggest discovery and I've really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it feels like it was made in the eighties, not like it's uh, kind of that nostalgic feeling. I mean, there's nostalgia, but a lot of stuff that is sat in uh, the past has that modern perspective to it. Like this is how we're reflecting on that time, but we have a, a modern take on it. Like even in the people versus OJ Simpson, as you mentioned, it's there's moments where you're, you're seeing that the writers are clearly reflecting on where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so, it, it, they were so meticulous in making it feel like it just was birthed, I guess, out of the eighties from the music to the credits. It's so, 
the detail, attention to detail, it just blew my mind in that first episode. Um, that synth pop soundtrack is just. Yes, I was just going to say that. that. That's the thing that sort of like that keeps going through it that just hits it. It makes it feel like something uh, right out of, you know, right out of the 80s. Well, there are moments of like never ending story in there with that soundtrack. And I was obsessed with that soundtrack. So it inspired me to go back to, to Apple Music. And like, I've been listening to the never ending story <laughs> soundtrack on repeat because it just, it kind of reminded me of that. And, and those credits, like just every little detail, it, it aside from the obvious uh, superior uh, HD quality, it feels like you popped in a VHS tape. Like there's nothing that gives away that you haven't like been transported to that era. And I, I just think it's, it's pure magic, and and you're absolutely right to me. It is that it is the discovery because it came out of nowhere, and isn't that wonderful? Like that almost never happens nowadays, except maybe on Netflix, where because they don't really promote things in the same way that other people do, where you feel like, whoa, where did this come from? And it it's just this incredibly magical experience, and that's what I keep hearing over and over from people is how how it felt like this journey to them that was so special. Oh, I just love it. I can't say enough positive things about the show. <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely, for people that grew up in the 80s, it definitely hits a lot of those nostalgic feel uh, of things that you both like grew up watching. Well, for me, actually watching them in the 80s, not in the 90s like Kate. Uh, but... Uh, I was a child of the I was born in eighty one, so I was like I was like I had like the, the childhood experiences of some of those movies for sure. Yeah, for me it was junior high and high school was in the eighties, so but it hit uh it hit a lot of those a lot of those things that you're you know it had the feel of things like, you know, E. T. and yeah. uh, and other other types of movies from uh you know from that time. I've heard E.T. Stephen King a lot. <laughs> Even though it had sort of a horror bent to it, it wasn't slasher gore, you know, type of stuff, really. It was, uh, I mean, it was really actually a long time before they ever gave you a good shot of the monster from the other side, you know, yeah. type type of thing. And so, uh, you know, that was, it, it really played more in that suspense type of thing you know like what's going on what what's going on in the secret lab what uh you know what's the deal with this uh with this girl that escaped the secret lab yeah for something that is so scary like that has a, such a scary um story to it it's remarkably family friendly i think and that's kind of that's kind of cool because the, the tone of it I guess like the Goonies is another comparison I keep hearing, even though clearly that's a much lighter story. But just, I mean, that fact that these kit, the leads are all children and the, the, the tone they set stylistically, um, it feels very warm somehow. I don't know if that's just me, but like even the way they chose to have Joyce like communicate with Will through Christmas lights, like little details like that, it kind of brings this into the, into, into this family space, even though you're, they're talking about monsters and yeah. they're talking about, you know, like weird sci-fi stuff, but it, it feels like it's accessible for that family kind of viewership. Yeah. Even though you're minutes away from a monster coming through the wall. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because there, because there's not, um, there's not these heightened like slasher gore moments throughout. You don't, the, 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 the show doesn't, 
hint towards that in its scoring and in its um, pacing and its tone. So it's not like you can tell, oh, okay, well, it's time for the fill in the blank to happen. So you're just, at least for me, I was just tense throughout. When I we put in the first episode and we were watching it, it was just sort of like, okay, jokey, jokey, fun. You know, are we going to watch this? I don't know. And then pretty quickly, we just weren't breathing. And certainly there was no talking at all because you know to do that you need to breathe um well even just in, right away in the first episode and there was no question of course we were putting on the second episode immediately after it was over it's incredibly tense and it, it, it that score because the soundtrack is terrific but for me it, it the most impressive thing is the score it never it does it grabs you and it doesn't let you go through these extended suspense sequences i don't care for i'm not a big horror person i'm too bunch of a scaredy cat um and i yeah, I certainly don't care for gore, um, but, you know, this is the kind of intense, um, super, you know, uh, terrifying, to me at least, thing that is incredibly relatable. It's like a kid disappears. What happened? Yeah. That happens every day. Um, so you add in this, uh, like, the other horror elements that are very distinctly horror elements – and it, then all of a sudden you're, it's, it's the kind of viewing where you're, you know, it's dark, you're watching it at night. This is the best, it's got to watch the show at night. It's so much better. Um, and you just start looking at the shadows on your walls a little differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's time you get to watch, I don't know, something animated, <laughs> watch Bob's Burgers before you go to bed, you know? If you, you, you hear a strange noise and you're like, is something coming through the wall? <laughs> Like, I'm sure there's nothing. I'm just, I want to read now. That's why I'm turning on the lights. Yeah. I feel like it, it kind of reminds you in a weird way because, like, it's not gory, but it does have that element of fear to it. And and it is very tense. It sort of reminds you that, like, fear is healthy in viewing in a way, if that makes any sense. It's like it guides you through that fear in a somewhat... I guess somewhat safe way. And I guess that's what I mean by it can be family friendly in the sense that mm -hmm. there's something thrilling about watching something that's frightening and living through it and feeling like you've learned about yourself from being able to sit there, especially as a child. I remember feeling that way and, and being able to brave something scary, um, but not throwing in that uber violence that kind of makes it a negative experience because the fear itself is positive uh, to experience as a viewer. But when you throw in a lot of the gore and the blood, that can be kind of like a negative, unnecessary experience for people. But this kind of keeps you in that place of like creepy imagination that stimulates your fear, but doesn't, you know, gross you out or give you like trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and what are you going to do? Not watch the rest of it as soon as you've watched the first episode? Those kids are amazing. Oh, Dustin is the best. I fell in love with uh, Millie Brown. I mm -hmm. could not. I, my fiance and I, when we watched it, we just wanted to adopt her immediately. Like, we just kept saying <laughs> to ourselves, oh, my God, she's so. She has this perfect mix, the character does, of Eleven, of strength and vulnerability, kind of that rough versus soft because she's, you know, she's a little bit of a harsh figure to begin with. She's got that shaved head, which she makes work so well. Like every time she put on that hair, I was like, Oh God, take it off. Take <laughs> it off. It looks so good with that shaved head. Um, she's got that look and yet she's got these big, like sad puppy dog eyes with filled with pain. Oh, she just broke my heart. I thought she was, she was my favorite. All the kids were amazing, but I think, to have five out of five kids, really, um, that kind of hit 
as strong as they did, that's impressive because casting children is not easy. And there's usually one kid that kind of annoys the hell out of you in any kind of (laughs) Yeah, even here, like on the, I mean, you had, you had the younger kids, you had, uh, you know, a few in the, you know, teenagers uh, and then the parents. Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't anybody at any real time that like came on screen and you're just like, uh, when is this person's scene going to be over? Or, you know, wow, they really made a misstep with this. So much of it just just worked. But, but yeah, the, uh, you know, like you said, Millie Brown that played Eleven was, was great. Uh, the kid that played Dustin, I mean, he was just, <laughs> I mean, he was too, he was like too perfect as always like the uh, referee, you know, like between like everybody else or like pointing out like, like the whole scene about the uh, that's the rules you have to shake you know, on it and stuff and, and and everything that was and and his reactions to every time she like moved something or did something like equating it with some superhero from some comic book or something uh, all of that was was great. Winona Ryder was great as the freaked out mom that like wouldn't buy that her son was actually dead. I don't know. It pretty much worked on, on all levels. Uh, and then just had that for me, that, that nostalgia feel and enough of a more thriller element than horror element. Cause going into it, looking at just a little bit of it, it seemed like it might be more was going to be more horror ish or something. You don't know. And like Kate said, I'm not really, uh, much of a of a horror fan myself, so so going into it, there was more of potential to not like it, or or even if it was, you know, good, to not you know really want to continue to watch it because it's not my thing. But it, yeah. I think it worked on so many different levels that it just it just worked really well for me. Uh, I mean. I would have watched all of it like sooner, but I actually caught up this weekend. I watched the first couple episodes like a couple months ago and then just with everything else and traveling and stuff just never got uh, to him. And so been trying to find somebody that wanted to talk about it on the podcast so that it would force me to have to watch it. <laughs> so that I'd be like, well, we're talking about. I, I even said it on the podcast last week. You're like, we're talking about Stranger Things next week, uh, and so I finally, uh, I watched, I watched the the six episodes in a row, uh, you know, last night, and it definitely is like once you get watching it, you don't want to, you know, when Netflix pops up the little thing, you know, it's starting again and. 15, 14, 13, you're like, no, now, now, <laughs> now, I don't, I don't, I don't want to wait 15 seconds. What are you doing? Just, just keep going. Yeah. I would say a special, you're so right about how they, they got everything right in terms of the cast. Like, I don't think there was anybody that kind of brought down the party, but a special shout out to the character of Barb who mm-hmm. had such a small role, but it's kind of been like a breakout. Like people are talking about her on the internet and it's just, it's so refreshing to see that kind of oddball girl. Um, it's a shame that, that she didn't make it through the first season. Um, and my, my favorite comedy bit 
throughout the thing was actually Steve's hair. <laughs> uh, every time he like it was it was like towards them I think maybe episode three or four every time he showed up his hair was even more ridiculous and it's just like it was so 80s but so like exaggerated in a in a really realistic way that I was just like ah oh, every time he was on screen that hair like it's it, if anything ever kind of points out you know the characteristics of like this guy is a bit of a douchebag it's it was so perfectly styled you can't look at him and go oh yeah, I know what you're all about. You're a bit of a creep, huh? <laughs> well, and it was the perfectly 80s because the rest of it, the the stuff about the 80s in the show is not particularly heightened. It's just very lived in. Um, that is an element that it's easy to point to now and say, oh, yeah, they're oh, the wacky hairstyles of the 80s. It was like point to it as a little too much. But that is not too much. No, <laughs> People wore their hair like that. And so that having that with that character, that one touch of super 80s specificity, whereas the kids, like their interactions, there's some of the vocabulary, some other things that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily hear now in the, quite the same way, but their interactions feel, at least to me, timeless. Um, it was nice having just a few like really specific things like, you know, Barb's glasses and yeah. Steve's hair. Well, I think a lot of 80s uh, shows and movies fall into the trap of being so 80s that it's you look at it and it's like everyone was going over the top to look as 80s as possible, which just doesn't happen. Any decade that you're from, there's these exaggerated styles that a lot of people do wear, but the majority of people aren't wearing those. So it's kind of like watching a 60s movie where everybody is dressed like a hippie, you know, 1960s. <laughs> I mean – there were a lot of people in 67, 68, 69 who, who weren't like, they just looked kind of normal. They weren't like all, you know, with, with, with headbands and flowing vests and stuff. So it's, it is like the character of Steve. It's so realistic that he would be the guy to latch onto those hairstyles because he's kind of like the in crowd. Yeah. A little bit of a douchebag guy who would take that extra effort to be stylistic with his hair. But most people in that world are just living their lives, not obsessed with looking as eighties as possible because that didn't occur to them back then. So <laughs> I did like that a lot, that it was, it was, it felt very lived in. It's a good expression that you use. I think the other thing about it is uh, the reference points and things, the way it was written. So many shows that are set in the past, they like, throw out these lines of dialogue here and there and they just smack you in the face like oh yeah they're trying to remind us that we're in this time period yes yeah but it doesn't and it doesn't feel like somebody would have really said it like said that or <laughs> said it that way you know type of thing and in this i didn't feel that i didn't have any of those times pop out when they you know you know referenced a a, a movie or like when they kept you know, referencing like somebody was a traitor and calling them a you know, Lando uh, and, and, <laughs> and various things that, that just uh, different types of, of, you know, movie references. And, uh, you know, like even when like he tries to invite her to the movies and like what movie was playing, all those, all those things, none of them like just stood out like, tend to happen in a lot of shows that uh, are set in some, you know, past time frame where a lot of times there's always one or two lines of dialogue that just like 
reach out of the screen and just smack you across the face and go, hey, dummy, we're in the 80s or yeah. whatever time period. And I didn't feel that in this. So I, I, I thought that it was really well written and and they they did a really good job delivering those lines to not feel that way, which I think added to that feeling of somebody found this eight episodes in a vault someplace, you know, <laughs> from the eighties and, and it's decided to put it on Netflix. Yeah. You know, I, like you said at the beginning, I don't think a lot of us had heard of the Duffer brothers and I love that this is kind of, it seems like this unique little story that they just wanted to tell and Netflix let them do it, which they do a lot. And Sometimes it's a little indulgent, um, but sometimes it really works. And I think if a show like this could really only work on Netflix or another OTT platform because it just doesn't fit the brand of, you know, another broadcaster or cable network. It just sort of feels like this was a story that these guys wanted to tell and they got the creative freedom to do it. And, um, you know, they didn't have to hit these certain marks that a lot of people have to hit. And it, it just exists as this kind of little beautiful story because of it, I think. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you just went and looked for like 80s shows on Netflix, this should be like right in with all the shows from the 80s that they have on Netflix. Like it should just, it should just, <laughs> it should just flow right in, uh, right in there. What did you think about uh, the ending how how sort of how sort of things came to an end or especially for me especially like uh Matthew Modine's character after i mean he's almost hardly in it in the beginning and then he speaks here and there and then you start to see a little bit more as they they go through the show and you start to see a little more of the backstory of 11 uh, and what they were doing and how the problem that we're dealing with got created. But how did you feel about just like you get to the end and all of a sudden he just bites it? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was going to say, how spoilery are, are we going? Because people might not have seen this. We should keep in mind. Um, I, I was invested in the kids, in the mom, and in the sheriff. And I didn't care about anyone else. So for me, we got just the right amount of Modine. And I was also super okay with the the way it ended, the very like literal last scene, the ending of it, because for me it felt very, uh, very Twilight Zone, you know, or Outer Limits kind of ending. Little, yeah, that little kernel of, uh, oh hey, yeah. it's not exactly solved. <laughs> you know, or but... or is it like is it is it not? Meh, we might never find out. And yeah. and. I'm okay with that too. So I was very okay with the way that things came together at the end. Yeah. For, for this show, would you like to see more of these people or would you like this to potentially be one of those shows where they pick another, you know, another time or another place and tell a similar sort of creepy tension filled story? Oh, that, I mean, that's such a good question. Cause it's, I love these people. And of course I would like to see more of them, but sometimes, I don't know, sometimes enough of a good thing is enough. So I, I would also like to see their take on another kind of tale in this style. I don't know. I, I would still like to see a little bit more of these people, but I think maybe 
you know, this isn't the kind of thing I would want to go on for, you know, like season after season after season. I think, I think there's a limit to how much you can explore. I mean, you still have characters that have certain abilities and there are still certain, you know, secrets and different things. And, and they did leave it open a little bit at the end there. So yeah, I would like to see a little bit more of them, but I also, I also like that idea of having it be a little bit of an anthology with, you know, the, the theme being stranger things and being able to explore other stories in that vein, um, you know, in that era. How about you, Kate? I, I think they could go either way. It could be, for me, it could be a one and done. It could be a continuing thing. They might, I might want them to skip some time rather than pick up immediately where they left off. Or I could really enjoy an anthology. Um, for if, if they continue on and they bungle it, they, they would have to really screw some stuff up for it to like retroactively affect my opinion of this first season. Um, so you know, I, I figure uh, you know, as long as the, the creators get some time off to have some to think about things and get some perspective, whatever way they want to go with it, I'm, I'm I'm along for the ride. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think there's a, the thing is, like, if they did bungle a second season and it was an anthology, at least the first season would be like on its own and there wouldn't be a continuing story that sort of messes things up. Mm-hmm. But then... It's uh, it because the the story sort of leaves off in a place where obviously they leave some threads, where there's more things to you know that they could go, uh, but part of the whole thing was you know like missing people and trying to find people and where were they and what's going on and in a second season of continuing on a story, where are you going to get that type of tension and things from when? if somebody were to disappear, we would know where they were, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's like, what, yeah. What other, like where is there other stranger things happening in this town? Or uh, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like there's some of it that would be, it would be difficult to maintain what they had uh, unless they came, you know, unless they came up with a new, sort of a newer a new problem that sort of spun off of this one or something else from the lab or 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 something i don't know not not to make it too too like oh there's a you know it's not to make it too much like there's another problem from this lab this lab is just a constant (laughs) problem that they'll fight every like like how kryptonite was just everywhere in smallville and every every episode was oh a new person has kryptonite and now they're doing this um but but I think that there's enough kind of mystery and, and characters left to have these things that could expand into another stranger thing. You know, you'd want it to go, I want it to go away from the other side that, cause it's not, I mean, it's really, a, it's really a broad concept. So I don't know. I like the idea of jumping a few years ahead, especially if they, you know, if, if they start filming, it's going to be, be at least one or two years since they filmed initially. So you, you're, you know, your main cast is, you don't have any of those problems with your main cast suddenly looking like they went through puberty since the last time you filmed, <laughs> the next day, which drives me nuts. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, on the subject of season twos and potentially bungling things, let's move <laughs> on to the next show on the list. Oh, 
Uh, Unreal Season 2, Episode 10, uh, Friendly Fire, which was the season finale. And uh, we'll start with you, Kate. What did... Uh, what do you think of this finale and sort of the second season of Unreal in general? Well, what I said on the Televerse last week, um, and I still I, I stand by it, is this is a much better finale than really a lot of this season, I would say, deserves. Um, I, I have not been very big on this season, though I, I've still enjoyed watching it. I still, I've still watched week to week and, and really enjoyed uh, some of the different cast dynamics and performances. But as soon, like not even as soon as I engage my brain with me temp- attempting to like shut off my brain, I still was getting really frustrated with <laughs> the, the show's approach to several of its characters and its complete bungling of everlasting the, like the dynamics within of the show within the show have just been a complete mess. Whereas they were actually handled. I thought pretty well in season one. So the, the refocusing in this season on so much of uh, Rachel's, her past and her issues with her family and this um, desire to, uh, to, to, I guess, throw herself into a relationship that the show never earned uh, has really, I think, taken unreal down, took it down a rabbit hole that it wasn't, uh, it hadn't really put in the, the, the legwork on it hadn't really established well enough. And that's not even to mention all the, just really unfortunate um, discussions of race or not, you should, you know, really but let's, let's have a, let, let's, let's trigger a police shooting of, uh, of a black guy and then not show him ever until the finale where he pops up here saying, you got me shot. We don't know where, we don't know how seriously, we don't know how long he was in the hospital. If he was like, Oh my God. It, Boggles the mind. That whole thing bothered me just not from the, the storyline that, that, you know, they did another terrible thing and and then covered it up type of stuff. But that apparently the one guy actually had surgery on his back and then came back and was, you know, walking around with a cane. But it was only like another it was only like the next week. You know, like they yeah. were, yeah. And then you're like a couple weeks down the line, and the other guy is has you know uh, shown back up as well, and he seems to be walking around just fine. Uh, so apparently, it wasn't as you know, it may have been a little bit more of a superficial uh, wound than you know than they because they never really say, and that whole stuff bothers me because. It pulls me out. Anything that makes me go, wait, that wouldn't happen. Because they're trying to tell us, you know, even though the show's called Unreal, they're trying to tell a somewhat, you know, heightened reality of a, a real show within a show here. And so when they you see stuff like that on the production end or how, or how people come back from things and you, you're, like, looking at the time frame, because that also... You talk about relationships not earned. Granted, these are all highly damaged people, so maybe they would just jump into uh, relationships and whatnot, but it also seemed like various characters were just, like, instantly couples. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden you're like, wait, didn't he just show up not just last week on the 
on the show, but it's really only actually a week since last week's show. Like they're telling <laughs> the sh- like we're only a about a week or, or two past, and all of a sudden, you know, Rachel and Coleman are not just you know not just sleeping with each other or something like that, but they're they're talking about plans and what they're going to do <laughs> for their future and. Quinn's talking about babies yeah. with this guy she met three weeks ago. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I actually binge watched a lot of this last night, so it's still very fresh in my mind. And it was a couple episodes back, but I, I, I completely agree that there was some really bonkers handling of racial issues in the show this season. I, I really liked the, I, I did like the fact that they, they made the first African-American suitor. I mean, it is kind of interesting that it, it, it you know, it happened in the fake world before it's actually happened in the, in the real, I say real, of course. world yeah. of TV. And I think that was intentional. That was intentional on their part to say everlasting is going to have a black suitor before the bachelor does. Um, so that, that made sense. And I understand. And I actually liked that the, the issues surrounding race were superficial at first because realistically, that's what would happen on Everlasting. They're not going to get into serious racial issues. So the idea of, you know, them casting the girl in the Confederate flag bikini, yeah, that made sense. The the, the subtle things about, you know, Darius not wanting to be seen on camera cutting um, you know, letting go from the show, an African-American woman who has a kind of a tragic uh, story in her past. I, I, I kind of identified with that. But the fact that they threw in a, a, a police shooting in the middle just boggled my mind because, A, they did not have the time to tell that story properly. And B, it's not the type of show to tell that story ever at all. It just doesn't have that gravitas to it. It just seemed like they were thinking, oh, well, what's a racial issue going on right now? Hey, there's a lot of police shootings. Let's throw that in there. And it, that actually actually horrified me on a lot of levels. But um, yeah, so, so that was that was something this season that I was really anti. It was a really uneven season, I will say. There were parts that I enjoyed, um, but there were a lot of things that I didn't enjoy. I think Overall, the the girls on Everlasting and the suitor himself really didn't stack up to the first season, in my estimation. There were some moments, but the chemistry between any of them just wasn't there. Um, you know, when Adam showed up in, I believe it was episode six and seven, I think, um, mm-hmm. the chemistry between him and Rachel was so electric. It just reminded me because, I mean, she's been, you know dallying around with Coleman who had, she had about as much chemistry with as, I don't know, glue, whatever, something boring that you don't have chemistry with. A pillow. (laughs) (laughs) So seeing her with Adam again was like this jolt of fresh air. Like, wow. Okay. This is what chemistry looks like, you know, and it's nothing against Darius or the actor that was playing Darius. I think he got dealt a bad card, but even, even the story with Ruby and I really did like the, the, the idea behind that. And I liked the heart of that. I still didn't actually feel that much chemistry between him and Ruby. It was the idea of that storyline that I kind of enjoyed. So there just, there just wasn't that, I don't know, the, the, the connection between the characters that I felt in that, in that first season. Um, and how, how spoilery are we getting about this finale here? You can uh, you can spoil away because if somebody's listening to this segment, then they should okay. Then they should know <laughs> that. Uh, well, that was the most ridiculous ending I have maybe ever seen. Like I kind of the the car crash. The whole the- time that she Rachel was talking to him, 
I'm like, oh, he's he's crazy. He's going to do something. And then they hop in their car, and I was like, oh, he did something to the car. And oh I just God! Kept, I just kept waiting for the crash, and then it, and then they show it, and you're just I like, because everything else that, like, even the, well, like the shooting part was, was terrible, but you could almost see them trying to create something, you know, getting him pulled over, uh, and not, you know, not thinking about how badly necessarily things could go, you know, when the, the lady died in the first season. Yeah, they were, you know, somebody on the show was responsible because they, you know, uh, switched out their, you know, her medication. And so she went off her rocker and then went off the building. And some of the, you know, some of these things were just like pretty elaborate. But you could see the main characters sort of coming back from that because they were more tangentially involved. Yeah. Sort of not... I mean, with the shooting, they they were a little more uh, involved of sort of directly setting that up uh, after they they took the car for a, a joyride. But and so you know that was the first thing that was well, they'd already had some stuff this season where some things they just felt like too many times this season where they were going for the big like thing to be surprising as opposed to what was really interesting about the first season which was the characters interacting with each other and, and, yeah. how, and how they played off of each other. And I, I find it interesting how often uh, show creators seem to think that people enjoyed something completely different than they did when they go into making like another season of their show. And they, they thought that the outrageousness was what people got into. And that was just sort of like a side thing. And, this season felt like they were trying to top themselves with the outrageousness. And then I I've said it before. Then you end up with like scandal where it's just completely ridiculous, <laughs> you know, yeah. because they keep, you, you know, after a while you can't, you can't top yourself without it being a hundred percent ridiculous uh, with, you know, and you completely lose the character dynamic of what was actually interesting about the show uh, with within the setting and and so to go this far where now it's sort of they're still sort of tangentially but now he's done something to the car and they're basically died and so nothing's going to get out about the show and they can go on about creating the show the next season it just seemed too far oh that was ridiculous <laughs> well and also when you're as a writer when you're looking at what should be like if if you decided ah oh, the thing people liked was our the craziness and like how how far we're willing to push things and just you know what are what are Quinn and Rachel willing to do if you're trying to think of things that you can have them do to push boundaries and like be like ridiculous a la something like scandal maybe don't say you know what is a good thing to good reason to motivate our characters and a good plot point we can just kind of throw away as a example of uh, a next chapter in the lives of our white characters let's get a let, let's let's do black lives matter because the important <laughs> thing about black lives matter is that it furthers the journey of our white characters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, car crash. Sure. Taking someone off their meds and to the point where they, you know, they're in the, as in the first season, they kill themselves. Yeah. 
that is not something that is, you know, a regular recurring headline in our actual world. So that was just, it boggles my mind how, I guess it doesn't that much, it's privilege, but this notion that that's a great way to use something like Black Lives Matter, something as significant and serious an issue in our country as Black Lives Matter as a plot point for our white characters. Um, But here's the thing about the car crash at the end. What they've done is they've put themselves in a position where if they want they can kill off Coleman and Yael, have Poochie go to his home planet, and then never mention them again. They can get Jeremy arrested, uh, have him nobly fall on his sword and not spill anything, and uh, also be off the show, and fix three of their biggest problems in one fell swoop. But the trouble <laughs> would be, they would have to acknowledge that these are three of their problems. Well, <laughs> the show does. When they buried uh, Paolo and Nikki uh, alive yeah. on my episode of Lost, they were just like, you know what? We screwed up. Everyone hates these people. We're just going to bury them alive and make it super obvious that we suck at this. <laughs> so you're right. That would, that would be, that would, you know, that's the way I would do it, where I would be like, oops, we screwed up. These people suck. They're dead now. Let's move on. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I You know what? From a moral standpoint, I am definitely more frustrated with their with their attempt at 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 racial discussion with the police shooting from moral standpoint i find that more offensive because you're right it is something that happens in the headlines it's something that it's not a conversation that unreal should ever have entered on any level especially not in the storyline that they were just gonna cover up and brush away (laughs) center your season around that you know like make that the entire season but it's still dicey because you are talking about a lot of white point of views like you said so i mean i would have stayed very far away from that although i will say that from a from if i had to think from a character perspective is that something that rachel and quinn would do like try to try to cause try to cause uh, uh, some racial tension to get it on camera absolutely i just don't think that the show that the show itself should have gone there even though if logically the people in everlasting would have but that's not the point the point is you just don't get into that conversation if you don't have the you need to have a certain level of respect of that dialogue because it's a real thing so from a moral perspective i'm definitely more frustrated with that but from a plot perspective i just can't get my mind around that car crash unless like you said it's pretty much like oops are bad (laughs) that i agree with but it's like the first season what they did with mary that was horrible and it was exaggerated but it was well within the kinds of stuff that someone would do on a reality show to get better ratings like what unreal did in the first season was it kind of took what actually happens behind the scenes in places like this and maybe exaggerated a little but you think it's that unrealistic that somebody would, you know, mess with someone's meds just to see if they would be a little crazier. I don't think that's unrealistic at all. Actually, disturbingly, I don't. So, you know, is it going to end in suicide? Probably not. But the fact is it was a tragedy that made complete sense in the world. But are we entering a world now where people just murder each other on purpose? Like that's a little bit crazy to me. Yeah. That's where we're entering scandal territory where everybody's a murderer. What got me was like, oh, okay, now we're not just accidentally through our own, you know, lack of moral compass endangering people's lives. We're just going to go around killing people. (laughs) That that got me like, okay, now now you're not so much a commentary on reality television, which is what they started off as a rather intelligent commentary on on reality television. Now you're just a, a bit of a dramatic and isn't it such a meta conversation like that you were saying jason about how 
you know, the show is trying to top itself from last season. And that's the that's the dilemma that the show within the show has every year, right? The whole this whole season was <laughs> kind of about, you know, Quinn and Rachel deciding what was topping everlasting last season, and yet we're talking about Unreal trying to top its own mega drama. So that's super meta. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. It it just uh, the season didn't like. I watched I watched the first few episodes and I. I liked where we were heading into the season and then things sort of started to, I don't know, derail a little bit where I ended up waiting until I had multiple episodes. Like even, even this, I watched the last two over the weekend to be able to talk about it today on the podcast. And I wasn't in any hurry. Yeah. Where last season, it was one of the shows where you were like, you didn't want to get, you know, you didn't want to hear anything. You didn't want to get spoiled. You wanted to watch it as soon as you could, you know, kept up with it. And then this season, it just, it became a bit more of a slog to get through at times, even though there are still great performances. Uh, you know, I could, I could watch Constant Zimmer all day long. You know, she, she's just, she's just fantastic, even though the storylines that she's been given this season were not so great. Yeah. Although I will say the I did the one moment that I really loved during the finale was was hers and it was you know she was so determined to create this chaotic atmosphere that ended in kind of embarrassment and humiliation for everybody which she thrives off of. And then you know she was kind of undermined and Ruby was brought back and there was this moment which you were supposed to believe was kind of like this real moment on Everlasting. You know, I don't know that it played that way, but what I really loved was her watching that and being so upset, even though it was actually the perfect moment for television, even for her, because it was that combination of chaos that creates the ratings that she wants. And yet it was, it was this real moment captured on TV, which just equals, you know, ratings bonanza, as she says. But I think because she's so mad at the world and, that her watching Darius and Ruby having this real moment and having it end in this happily ever after, like actually really disturbed her. And she was, she said, you know, true love who gets, who gets that. And it was like this really sad kind of thing. Like, even though as a producer, she should have been enthralled and, and ecstatic that it all came together in every possible way. She wanted it to be, she wanted it to be humiliating and not satisfying for, for these people because she's not satisfied with life. Yes. That's something that stuck with me a lot. I really loved that moment from her. Yeah. Where was that nuance in the writing all season? Because yeah. I do like, it's, it's very tempting to give all of the credit for that to Constance Zimmer. Cause she's fabulous. But watching that moment, really made me reassess her behavior in the previous episode too. all the stuff with Yael where she's like cackling. Oh, this is the worst thing we've ever done. It's far from the worst thing that it's not the worst thing that what they did with Yael was not even the worst thing they had done that season. It was like not even close, (laughs) but because she's in this headspace with so much anger and bitterness, 
it makes sense that she is in a more heightened and uh, she's like really, she's really hurting and she's channeling it into this glee. Um, and so that, that moment in the finale with her did make me kind of go back. Recon- it did recontextualize what we'd gotten from her since that, since she broke up with, with her boyfriend um, and, and added this really lovely layer of nuance to what she's been doing this whole time, or, or helped me see what, what I think Zimmer at least was putting there. Um, and it makes sense that, it's not in the dialogue, but it feels like that's something that should not just be Zimmer, but should be in the like the writing too. But if it yeah. is in the writing, there has been nowhere near that nuance anywhere else in this entire season. WTF writers. Yeah. Yeah. But that moment was great. That was a great moment. <laughs> All right. So I think that'll do it for, uh, for unreal. Except for, are you, where are you on the prospects of, your excitement level for a third season. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really like the actors. Not nearly as much as you were excited for season two after season one. No, no, not even close. Not even the same like sphere. Yeah. It's such an easy show to watch that I'll probably continue to watch it. But because there are certain shows that as good as they are, if they falter at all, they become very like uh, t- they they take a lot of effort to watch this show. I mean, it's just effortless to watch. So it's kind of the, the thing I'll probably put on, and even if it sucks, I'll just complain about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, and we'll move on to the uh, last show on the list, which is Mr. Robot, season two, episode six, which is EPS two point four underscore Master dash Slave. If you thought last year's <laughs> episode naming convention was confusing. Welcome to season two. I'm so I'm really impressed that you just actually said the name of the episode, frankly. <laughs> uh, because it's even more confusing because they gave because the first two episodes are two episodes, but they're part one and part two, but still have the same numbering convention, ah, uh, which is already messed up because they put uh, just uh, it's it's always messed up that whatever the number in it is never the actual episode. <laughs> Yes, yeah, Smell, if you're listening, it's not clever, it's pretentious, and it's <laughs> incredibly frustrating for those of us who actually need to keep track of which episode we're watching. Yeah. <laughs> Is that just me, Jason? No, it's not. It's, it bothered me the whole first season when you would look at it and you'd be like, oh, wait, no, this is actually the sixth episode, even though it says it's 1.5. And, yeah. uh, and then, but now this season with the two-parter, and then, and then there's a two-parter at the end. So the numbering system of the... The episodes only goes up to nine, even though there's going to be 12 episodes uh, total for the season. So, uh, but that's just my, <laughs> apparently our pet peeve with the, uh, uh, the, the numbering system of, of that. Cause I, I lose track. Like I look at it and I go, wait, have I seen, you know, like, I've like, I've seen episode four. Oh, well that's not episode four. That's episode. Wait. Oh, that's episode six. Okay. So yeah. So I, uh. I caught up with this show as well. It was quite the binge-watching TV weekend for me. <laughs> uh, four episodes of Mr. Robot, two of Unreal, and six of Stranger Things. Uh, that, that was my that was my weekend. Uh, what did you guys do? Um, but uh, Olympics. See, I did the Olympics. I, I had to be a little more on the ball because I, I couldn't. Yeah, I was watching the Olympics. So, so start uh, start with you, Jennifer. What uh, what are you thinking about the second season? Uh, so far of Mr. Robot and this episode in particular that we uh, started out with the 
the flashback sitcom style uh, opening. I'm so glad that this is the episode that we get to talk about because the first that first 18 minutes was 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 just so much fun. I actually watched it on the subway because I was running behind. And so I watched it on the way back and I was like sitting on the streetcar, like grinning at the computer like a doofus because it was just so much fun to see that. Um, You know, I like Mr. Robot and I know that it's really, really good, but I don't love it for some reason. And I can't figure out why that is. I, I respect the hell out of it, but I find it hard to connect to it, I think would be the appropriate term. So actually the, the the first little bit of this episode is probably the most connected I've been all season to the show. And I could watch uh, Rami Malek look out of place in an early nineties sitcom <laughs> any day for all. I think that should just be a web series where it's just like <laughs> that. My favorite part of that was him swearing and then like everyone around, like the soundtrack going, ooh, <laughs> looking around like, what, what? And then doing it on purpose because he just couldn't take it anymore. It's been, it's a solid season. I mean, it's, it's, I think that it's, it's very unconventional, the storytelling and um, uh, it's on par, I would say with season one. Um, if not, maybe there are some things that I'm, I found myself wanting to fast forward through anything with uh Terrell's wife I just didn't care to watch and there are bits and pieces here and there that I thought lagged a little bit because it was a little more disjointed that happens in in almost every season two the world kind of expands a little bit and you've got these little pockets of stories but um this episode in particular was definitely my favorite uh mostly because of that so well yeah Sam Esmail has also been given a little more free reign in this Second yeah. season where you know, ended up getting more time for uh, you know extra episodes than originally uh, was scheduled, but then also longer episodes. Like the episode, yeah. <laughs> there's no, it's 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 not quite Kurt Sutter, but it's it's heading in that that potential where you start seeing like, wait a second, why is the third episode you know eighty nine minutes? God, I hope it doesn't head into Kurt Sutter territory. <laughs> that's, that's overindulgence at its worst. But um, you know, I, I like it. I, I just I find I find it hard to connect to this show. And, and I really I think especially they're trying to create this tense atmosphere with hacking, and it that doesn't work for me. In this episode, there was that sequence with Angela. Type this. Type root slash dash. I don't know. I'm going to sound like a moron if I even try to use hacking language because I have no idea what it is. And I know they were going for this tense kind of, and I just went, I don't care. Like you're typing words on a screen. That's not going to, that doesn't create a, a act, like a, a tense action sequence to me. So that bored me. I was like, oh, great. This is, this is exciting. Yeah. Well, that's where they're trying to go for the, the realism of, of using actual, you know, actual code and actual things that, that hackers would use. Oh, I know, but it just goes over my head and I, <laughs> I can't, I can't. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. No. How about you, Kate? Um, the verisimilitude of the coding language and stuff is apparently, apparently it's, it's very accurate is what the internet tells me, um, which is neat. <laughs> Because uh, I, I don't know anything about this yeah. stuff, so I certainly am not going to be able to, you know, tell anything, say anything helpful on on that. But um, the ha- having having the beginning of this episode within the '90s context, um, 
I sh- that should have been engaging for me. It should have been really exciting and, and ooh, look at what they're doing. Um, but I just, I don't, I, I didn't really care. I was like, okay, okay, fair enough. I see what they're doing. That's kind of fun. 20 minutes. It's a long time to do that. Oh, but you know, it's fine. So, so I like, I want to be more connected with this episode than I am. But Elf showed up twice. And that was great because I super <laughs> enjoyed having Elf show up actually. But I'm very out of touch or, or out of, I'm very not connected with Elliot this season. And I was very connected with him in the previous season. And what I'm, what I keep coming back to with, with the season of Mr. Robot is that I think it, it really feels to me like this show is hamstrung by the fact that Christian Slater is famous um, because they had this conceit and then they got to the end of the, the first season and Elliot figured out that Mr. Robot was in his head and they said, so I was watching this going, Oh, so is Christian Slater. He's like dealt with everything. And by the finale, does that mean he's not in the second season? Oh no, he's famous. So he's still going to be in the show. So even though he shouldn't be theoretically, they need to come up with reasons for Elliot to talk to Christian Slater and Mr. Robot every episode and to not really make progress or change in any way. So he keeps having these same conversations episode after episode. So we get a little bit of for momentum on that um, in this episode because we get by the end of the episode, he embraces Mr. Robot and everything. But for me, it's just been a, a very much a six episodes of wheel spinning with Elliot. So I'm much more engaged with all the ladies, everything happening with them. I actually kind of care about or very very much care about depending on which you know female character we're talking about but everything with elliot and mr robot i just i i'm, I'm not interested even a little bit uh so craig robinson very very much enjoying uh, very glad to see him pop up here but i couldn't really engage with this first 20 minutes despite the the fun that the show is clearly having with it because i don't i'm not invested in elliot right now so I, I don't really have a lot to say about this episode because it's, it's for me, despite the the tonal difference and the stylistic difference that we get in making such a distinct choice, it feels like the same conversation and the same. I'm having the same issues with this episode that I've had with pretty much the whole season. I, I would say I'm not as connected with this season either, as noted by that I had four episodes <laughs> backed up on the DVR. Some of that is still due to just, uh, you know, traveling and Comic-Con and stuff like that and not being able to, you know, watch some things. And then it starts to pile up and you're like, well, I need to watch the first episode before I can watch the next episode. But that episode's 90 minutes long and I don't have 90 minutes right now. Yeah. That type of thing. And so it it started getting, you know, backed up and it wasn't differently than Unreal. It just hasn't been the same type of thing where you're like, Oh, I want to see uh, what's, you know, what's happening this week. I want to, you know, make sure, you know, I've still tried to, you know, make sure I'm not getting spoiled on things and try to, if I see something about Mr. Robot, you know, to just scroll past really fast on Facebook or, or Twitter or something. But yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it's like you said, Kate, the, the spinning wheels of, of Elliot just having the same, you know, sort of the same problem. I'm still I I I feel like I missed something. I'm still not sure like how he got connected with Craig Robinson's character, and and then enough so that he would jump in to do 
you know, this stuff for him and then get himself in this, you know, where he basically, you know, is getting beaten to a pulp. I mean, I did like that it it gave us that that opening. I did quite enjoy that opening. But I also, for brief periods, get a little bit lost occasionally because a scene will open and then all of a sudden you'll go, okay, wait, this is in the past. And it, it takes you a little bit into the scene before you realize that you're actually watching something in the past, not something now. And, you know, then you go to the opening credits and then it hops into the now. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's uh, there's no, like, visual or audio, uh, audio, like, at least to me, that I've noticed thing that, like, lets you know, <laughs> like, this is... You just sort of have to figure it out for yourself. And so... Uh, which is fine, I guess, but sometimes I feel like I'm I'm lost for a little bit because you have stuff like whenever it was a couple episodes ago or whatever, where there's a knock at the door and then it's his sister. And then you're like, wait, this is really far in the past. And but right there at the beginning, I was like, are they finally going to answer the question to who is at the door at the beginning of at the end of last season? And. No, this is something completely different or it it's that type of stuff where I get you lose me in the in like the narrative thread of like what's going on. Uh, there's also some uh, really interesting cuts where a scene just ends and another one just starts and you're like, wait, what are we doing yeah. now? <laughs> I, I actually I. I was kind of listening to it in the background at one point while I was typing notes and I, I thought that like something had skipped ahead by accident. Like I had to go back and, Oh, it just, that's like someone was almost in the middle of saying something and all of a sudden we're in a new scene and that just happened. It wasn't a mix up. So yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those where it felt like I, you know, those, one of those times where you doze off watching TV and you wake up and you're like, Oh, I missed something. And you rewind. It yeah, almost felt yeah. like that, except that when you rewound, it was like a half a second. And you were back in the other scene. You hadn't missed anything. You hadn't dozed off. You just felt like you had. And I guess that some of that is the style that they're going for is to keep you unbalanced uh, and stuff. But sometimes it's a little too much, you know, where I actually lose the thread of what's what's happening. Yeah. I think this show definitely prides itself on playing with form and style and I mean, but it can go into that territory where it's trying to be, I don't want to say too clever, but it's almost that. It's almost that it's trying to kind of mess with our expectations of what a format should look like, what a structure should look like, so that, you know, it does, you know, when it goes into the past, like you mentioned, it doesn't say like 48 hours ago or, you know, a month ago, which we're used to seeing. And I mean, in a way, you could say, are we being spoon fed those things? Sometimes, yes. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, you have to be able to follow the plot of a show. And, and at times I, I, I was kind of interested when I realized, oh, okay, now we're, we're, this is actually a story that took place a while ago. And now I see how it got to that point. But, you know, when you combine that with the other elements in the show, other, the other stylistic elements and the other kind of jump arounds and different things, it can be a little convoluted. And I feel like there has to be a balance between trying to impress people with your, uh, you know, inventive storytelling and actually just focusing on telling a solid story rather than the form in which that story is told, I think. 
I'm all for convoluted or complicated or very stylistic storytelling. I mean, I adore Hannibal, but there needs to be a reason for it. And I need to, I need to feel like, like, for example, on Mr. Robot, the framing is very, is there to be stylistic and to be different, but it's also to put you immediately off kilter and to, to give you a different perspective on scenes than you're used to seeing. There's a reason for that stylistic choice other than to be different. And I don't always get a strong sense with this season that the stylistic choices that are being made are being made for a more significant reason than because it would be cool. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, and I think I think that may be uh, sort of Mr. Robot's version of trying to top itself <laughs> in the second season is is hey, yeah. people commented on the style. <laughs> Let's be even more stylistic in the second season. But yeah, like you said, if there's not an actual point other than overall making you feel off kilter, but yet while it, I think it, it's cool and interesting and stuff. I also, it's. I think it's also the reason why practically nobody's watching the show. And and the way I, I haven't uh, been paying too much attention to it, but someone brought to my attention yesterday that the ratings are just even worse than they were last year, which wasn't great considering the critical acclaim it had. So, is it in the toilet ratings wise this year? Yes, it's even worse. Yeah, it's yeah. The, wow. the ratings oh, are. And that's that's sort of an an interesting thing to me is because you have like it was sort of the Mr. Robot was sort of the stranger things of last season. Like it was the thing that nobody really knew like what it was or what it was going to be. And, you know, some people started to watch it. People that were watching it, you know, a lot tended to uh, really dig it and, you know, talked it up. You know, it got some, you know even now got some you know awards notice and and things like that but yet none of that has translated into uh it's it's actually translated into less people watching it you know i mean grand that's how many people are watching it live i don't know i haven't really looked to 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 see or heard much about like what maybe like 7 day ratings are or or, or what not but at least the the standard rating of the night or whatever that you you might hear a couple days later or something has not been, uh, has not been good. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those shows that, that I, I don't know that I, it just, I think there's just some, some of the stuff about it that uh, it's, it's hard to get into. It is. Yeah. But yet it, it seems like something that people would have, with the the type of buzz that it got over the last summer and then since then and stuff, it seems like a show that uh, people would have checked out the first season and that maybe you would have gotten a little bump in the second season, but apparently that translated into potentially people trying it out in the first season and not liking it as much as they heard. They heard it was good. It's hard to say with a show like this because, Buzz doesn't necessarily translate into ratings, as we well know. I mean, Unreal is another example of that. Like Unreal, it, it was it was certainly buzzier and more talked about than anything else on Lifetime. And Lifetime generally doesn't have a lot of scripted shows, so Unreal became their critical darling. 
but to actually on Lifetime, like Dance Moms, <laughs> gets better ratings than Unreal. So it's it's really hard, I think, for us sometimes to see outside of the bubble we're in, which is kind of like that TV fan bubble, and and see and see the perspective that like something like Mr. Robot was was a big hit for USA in the sense that it put them on another level in terms of the respect that they got from the TV world. But it the ratings on it were nothing like you know, burn notice or psych or anything like that. These shows have been kind of workhorses for them. And it's interesting because they've really, we were talking about this at ATX, Jason, that um, USA is kind of all like dark characters wanted now after Mr. Robot, they really want to reinvent themselves. And they may be regretting that because. Well, I think they're going to with Falling Water because that show is even more confusing (laughs) than, uh, than Mr. Robot is. Really liked Queen of the South, though. I, I hope I hope I good I expect good things from that. Hopefully, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I haven't really seen how that's been doing, but I mean, that's at least a little bit on the. Um, I mean, granted, it's a, obviously a little bit more darker characters wanted type of thing, but it's a little more straightforward in oh, the type of story yeah. that they're telling. Yeah. Uh, even though they have a, you know, like they show you way in the future and then jump back into the the present being the past. It's pretty clear where you but are, the, yeah. But, the rest of the show telling you is pretty straightforward for the most part, uh, as as opposed to uh, uh, Mr. Robot and then you know something like Falling Water, which is I I lost I lost my way halfway through the the pilot, so that's not a it's not a good sign. I think probably Mr. Robot was the closest thing to Stranger Things last summer, as you said, it, just in that there 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 aren't generally a lot of surprises on television anymore. Um, you know, I think Netflix started surprises a while ago, but then even after, you know, two or three years, people stopped being surprised by what was, what was on Netflix. And then Stranger Things is kind of the thing that broke that back again, where people were genuinely surprised. So there was some of that last season with Mr. Robot, but it doesn't have the same broad appeal and it doesn't have the same accessibility. I think there was more people talking about Mr. Robot in a enthusiastic manner than there were actually people watching it and and identifying with it. Like a small group of people were talking very loudly about the show yeah. <laughs> and enthusiastically, but I don't think it has. Now, t- having said that, it you know, I have no idea what the ratings on Stranger Things are like because Netflix doesn't release ratings. I would imagine that it's a much more accessible show, but I, yeah, I think Mr. Robot is, is one of those shows that, that gets the buzz and doesn't get the ratings. And we see that so often. And as a TV fan, it's frustrating, but given the second season, it's, it's easier to justify those low ratings. I would say that the first season you kind of thought, well, why aren't more people watching now? it's harder to kind of drive them to the show because I think it's faltering. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well as you, you talked about the, you know, people talking about the show is uh, Mr. Roboto. Great podcast. If you love Mr. Robot, you should definitely check out that podcast with, uh, with Mike. And then uh, also uh, your co-host on TV POV as a co-host <laughs> on uh, Melissa on that as well. That's definitely uh uh, something to check out there. But on that note, I think if you go like and search for like Mr. Robot podcast, you'll find that I think like everybody that's watching the show like has a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think that's yeah. the small group of people that are talking about the show are literally talking about the show on a, on a weekly basis. But there's not not too many more of them than than that that are actually watching it so it's sort of interesting what uh 
what people get interested in and start talking about, but it's very niche on that on that scale. Uh, but uh, that'll do it. Uh, that'll do it for prime time. Uh, as always, you can write in and let us know what you th- think about uh, you thought about Stranger Things or the second season of Unreal. Are you enjoying Mr. Robot more or less than the previous season? Uh, you can uh, write us at feedback at tvtimes3.com or leave a comment in the show notes at uh, tvtimes3.com slash 335. And we'll move on to uh, TV recommendations. Uh, my recommendation is uh, Fox's Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which has uh, the third season coming out on DVD on Tuesday, August 23rd. It's one of my favorite comedies right now. I think the ensemble is... Uh, is fantastic, and I don't know. There's not really much more to <laughs> to say about mm-hmm. it. I just I think it's it's one of the better comedies that's on TV right now, and so good. it's well worth checking out if you haven't yet. Is it on Netflix in America? I haven't looked yet, but uh, we'll have uh, I'll have links in the show notes to every place that you can find it. Because if you are if you happen to be a Canadian listening to this, it, it the third season is on Netflix in Canada. It it actually got released like literally right after it aired. Um, it aired on and um, I believe uh, actually I have no idea what channel it aired on in Canada. I was I was watching it on simulcast on Fox, but I do know that right after it aired, it ended up on Netflix right away. And so if you are happen to be Canadian, you can definitely check it out on Netflix. All right, Jennifer, what is uh, what's your recommendation? My recommendation, blech, my recommendation, my, my <laughs> recommendation. Is that, is that a recommend rendition? Like what is, uh, I'm not sure what you're going for there. Um, I'm just going to be, uh, I'm going to cover up my mistake and say recommendation is Canadian for recommendation. Oh, there we go. Nobody will no. know. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, so my recommendation is to catch up on the first season of Crazy Ex-Girlfriends. Um, which is going to be debuting its second season in the fall on um, the CW. It's another one of those shows that kind of has great buzz, been getting some critical love for Rachel Bloom, who is the the, um, star and kind of main uh, creator of that series. And it is a... um, a dramedy musical, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Um, it's like nothing else you've ever seen. It was originally developed for Showtime um, and ended up on CW with, with, I'm assuming, some adjustments. But it isn't as tame as you would think for a CW show. It's a really hysterical uh, show. And I have been listening to the soundtrack nonstop. I, I cannot stop listening to those songs and singing along at the top of my lungs. And I think it's... it's um, it's definitely worth a watch for anyone who hasn't seen it. And I I don't know that it's out on DVD. I, I looked and I didn't see it coming out on DVD anytime soon, but I'm sure it's available on iTunes. And I think I think it's available on Netflix for Americans. It's not in Canada, but I believe uh, in the U.S. it is on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix uh, made a deal with the CW to have their shows come out on Netflix at, I think it's after, right after the season finale. Yeah. Um, so the, the have, they won't, I think the deal is they won't be up like next day on Hulu anymore, but at the end of the season, the whole thing will come up right away is I think, Jason, did, did you hear about that? I think they're doing the, I can't remember if they're doing, uh, I mean, they're still going to be doing like the last five episodes that you can get to through the, you know, like the CW app or the CW.com or CWTV.com or whatever. Shutter, shutter, shutter. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you'll still be able to like watch, you know, next day or whatever, if you're, if you were watching it that way. But, but yeah, instead of, 
I mean, DVD-wise, I always thought it was dumb. Same thing now with the, I mean, still dumb, but also with shows being on streaming platforms or whatever. The idea that they would always put these things out like a week before the new season was going to, because they thought, like, the thing to do is to put your marketing together. Like, oh, hey, there's a new season. Also, go buy the... You can buy the last season now, and you're just like, uh, no, this is the DVDs and and streaming have become a new way to actually market your show so that you can get more people watching it potentially if they really enjoy it and they don't want to wait. Oh, the Breaking Bad model that works. Yeah, you know that that type of thing, and so it never made any sense that for the most part, a lot of CW shows would hit Netflix or come out on DVD like a week or two before and you're like yeah who's gonna you know nobody's gonna binge you know 24 episodes of something in a week just to catch up so that they can then so that they can then watch things on a weekly basis i don't know speak for yourself i've done it i've done it well yeah i know but it's still it's it's not a if if you had like a month i mean these days uh, like a lot of things are are coming out you know like uh you know, Supergirl came out on DVD like last week, so it you know got more than a month DVD wise and stuff to be able to you know watch it before the second season hits. So there's they're starting to do a lot more of that, and so I to me it makes a lot more sense to drop the whole season, you know, eight days after the season finale, and uh, then you know you have like the whole the whole summer for people to find your show uh, and potentially watch it you know, the next season. If it's hurting in the ratings, that's certainly a forward thinking way of doing it. It worked really well for Breaking Bad. But I think the reason a lot of people don't do that is because the networks want you to watch it on their platform as long as possible. So if it comes out on Netflix a week after it's aired, everyone's going to watch it there because frankly, it's just easier and better. Um, But, you know, they, they actually, there's a certain time that most of them actually make people wait so that, by the time that comes out, um, they've exhausted. You've exhausted the possibility of buying it elsewhere, maybe buying it or watching it with their ads elsewhere. So that's what I think the motivation is behind it, because a lot of times that is kind of the deals that they make. Um, I agree that that you know maybe it's time to work out another forward thinking, or at least again put it out on DVD like the day after or something. I don't know, but yeah, I, yeah. Well, I just think that people that are into the show are going to buy it whether it comes out, you know, uh, at the end of a season or the beginning of the next season or whatever, but you're hurting your chances of people hearing about a show, especially, I think, especially something like a crazy ex-girlfriend or, you know, something that's in its first season where it's, yeah, and people are talking about it, but then you're like, well, where can I go watch it? You know? And, and so you, you lose all of that potential momentum that you could have built, uh, uh, over the, over the course of the summer with people finding, you know, hearing about it and being able to easily find it someplace to watch. Uh, and then, and then maybe they jump on because they loved it so much. They watch it week to week or, you know, at least record it and watch it. Uh, and, uh, or, or something like that. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, crazy ass girlfriend is one f- uh, worth checking out. Uh, it's definitely one, uh, another one of those shows with the, that you need to get, you need to get by the title. You just need to watch the opening credit sequence. And if the opening credit sequence doesn't convince you that 
about the title, you know, that you should move past the title, then maybe the show's just not for you. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, because they, I mean, she goes about trying to explain it in the opening credit sequence <laughs> of of what that of what the title means, but some people just seem to. I saw somebody else just post the other day on Facebook, like, uh, okay, people tell me reasons why I should get past the title and watch Carrie's the ex-girlfriend. How about don't be lazy? Just, just <laughs> I hate when people do that. They're like, tell me why I should watch this. Like what? How is that my job? Just, just watch it. Lazy person. <laughs> I mean, I'll do it I want you to watch it, but like, it seems kind of presumptuous of you to be like, okay, that's right. Give me some reasons. Why should I indulge in this? Yeah. That's right. That Jennifer says right after recommending you watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> uh, but how about you, Kate? What's uh, what's your recommendation? Uh, well, first off, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is amazing. And the music is fantastic uh, almost universally through that season. So fantastic choice. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine is also, I think, one of the more underrated comedies out there. I think it's really great. So you guys have fantastic taste. And yet the best show on TV this year so far, and likely at the end of the year, it'll at least be one of the top three, is Steven Universe on Cartoon Network. And it recently passed its 100-episode marker in the previous week. The way that Steven Universe airs is that it'll go – it's animated, so it'll go off the air for quite a while because, they, you know, there's a lot of production. You know, the animated shows take a while. Um, and then it'll air instead of, like, week to week – It'll air, they do what they call Steven Bombs. The main character's name is Steven. Or they'll have a new episode every day for like a week or two weeks or something like that. So it's just finished up the Steven Neutron Bomb of like a month of everyday new episodes. And at least for the next few weeks, it's airing weekly um, over at Cartoon Network with like one episode a week. So they're back to weekly episodes um, for the near future. But Steven Universe is... Uh, the way that I've been talking about it in the past couple of weeks is I really think that it is the the success a successor to Harry Potter what? because because of the method of storytelling where you're following a young or an adolescent or in this case you know he starts out he's like twelve thirteen and you find out later he's fourteen exactly sure the time frame of how much time passes in the show but you're starting with a young character who is then growing up and maturing and dealing with different things in his life. And as he grows up and matures, the story grows up and matures with him. So there's all this stuff happening. Um, well, like for Jennifer, you're a Buffy fan. So I can say the Zeppo and you'll know what that means. Yeah. But there'll, there'll be like apocalypse stuff happening in the background. And he's like, Ooh, ice cream sandwich. And so the camera goes with him to get an ice cream sandwich while the, his guardians, the crystal gems, like deal with the apocalypse stuff and it'll come back. And then they'll be like, Hey, check it out guys. Ice cream sandwich. Um, and it's adorable. And, uh, for fun. Uh, but then, and that, those are the earlier episodes. And, but then as the character, grows up and matures more um, and just deals with different things, the the show opens up and blossoms out and you realize this other stuff that you've been kind of seeing in the background and picking up little snippets of here and there is this really dense and uh, fantastic mythology of uh, intergalactic war of these aliens and like a rebellion against a totalitarian regime and all this different stuff. Um, so it's it's really beautiful storytelling it's really uh lovely to look at animation um and it's it's incredibly incredibly dense 
like 12 episodes, 12 minute long episodes. So if you want to just watch a silly episode about self-expression and, and uh, finding joy and the ability to cut loose and let go of responsibility for a while through pro wrestling, amateur wrestling, there's a silly episode about that. But if you, so you can watch me, watch this episode and be like, Oh, it's just a silly, funny episode about like alter egos in a pro wrestling thing or an amateur wrestling thing. Uh, or it's about uh, maturity and about dealing with responsibilities and about being looked at as the youngest in the family and not trusted with responsibilities. Um, and when is it good to speak up for yourself and really make yourself heard? And when is it good to understand the pressures that your family's dealing with and let that slide? So, so like either you can appreciate it on a purely surface, like wacky adventures with aliens and humans, or there's all this beautiful nuance there as well. If you want to see it and you want to spend time with it, the more I think about Steven Universe, especially this most recent batch of episodes, the the more it really deepens for me. I think it's the best show on television. And then that's not even to mention all the beautiful, wonderful, empowering messages of female empowerment, LGBTQ rights, uh, just love is love is love. It's they did an all they did a musical episode this year that was amazing. Uh, Steven Universe is the best show on TV right now. Nobody's watching it. Y'all should catch up. So season one and I think a large part of season two are available on Hulu and the Cartoon Network app has like all of season three and season four. So between those two, you can catch up with the whole thing. And like I said, 12 minute episodes, it goes down like candy. Like I, the first, when I first started watching it last year, I watched, I intended to sit down, like fold some laundry, do some invoicing, whatever, watch a few episodes. And I ended up watching 30 episodes that weekend because this show's amazing. So Steven Universe, have either of you guys watched any or heard any about this? I mean, Jason, obviously at Comic-Con, we talked about it. I have never heard of the show, but you are really, really good at recommending things because now I'm just like, I was like, wow, this sounds awesome. And I felt the same way after you were talking about Larry Wilmore. Seriously, you should should like (laughs) pitch these things. Uh, You'd be an excellent just pitching series for other people. It's really good. Um, Because I actually, I have to admit, I have a very strong animation bias in that I, 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 I find it very hard. It's very hard to convince me to watch animated shows. And I know it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, and so automatically I'm like, oh, animated show. You said a bunch of things there. I mean, Crystal Gems, Guardians, Intergalactic Wars. Already I was Harry Potter. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I should watch this. This actually does sound like something I would I would quite enjoy. I think you've sold me. I think I'm, yes. I'm sold. <laughs> An- another one drafted into. <laughs> I'd never heard of it. I was like, "What? This sounds great. This sounds amazing. Keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's really, really, really good. And if you, if you watch the first couple episodes, Jennifer, you're like, I'm not seeing it. Keep in mind that again, the, at the beginning, he's just like, I'm a ten year old boy or maybe eleven or twelve year old boy. The most exciting thing in my day is when there's fresh donuts at the donut store. Um, and so and so. That who doesn't. And if you want to, if you want to jump ahead to like episode nine or 10 when things start to get a little more serialized and you know, then, then feel free to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm assuming. And like the voice, the voice acting, it's some of the best, uh, uh, voice acting, 
uh, going right now, in my opinion. And they've got this fabulous, I mean, like Grammy winner Estelle is one of the characters and the, they have just any, just, I don't even want to spoil it. The different people that show like Nicki Minaj does a voice for one episode. Amy Mann does a voice. Um, so if you're a music fan, there's a lot of, of really great stuff. Patty Lapone shows up for like this really short vocal cameo, but it's perfect. It's amazing. Um, so yeah. And, and it's also, there's a lot of coding of, uh, people of color and, uh, different types of like different body types and, and everything in the way that people are drawn as well. All the aliens are, are coded female. Um, so there's a lot of really wonderful things about, like I said, female empowerment in there as well. So yeah, it's, it's a 15 minute show. It's an animated show and it's on Cartoon Network and air quotes for kids. So it's right in the center of a Venn diagram of underappreciated or underrespected, critically respected television. And so it's like, I just won't stop talking about it. Wow. You are good at, at selling uh, people on, on things, Kate, cause now I really, really want a donut. Yeah, there you go. Delicious, <laughs> delicious donut. Like the donut that I had at Comic-Con given to me by Kevin Smith and Greg Grumberg on my way to the Steven Universe panel. See, I'm bringing it back to Steven Universe. Because those are super overrated. <laughs> All right. That'll do it uh, for uh, our recommendations. Uh, as always, we'll have uh, links uh, to where you can find those as well as uh, the news stories we talked about and also where you can find and listen to Jennifer and Kate online in the show notes at tvtimes3.com slash 335. Uh, next week, Amory and Ray will be back with me. I'm not sure what we'll be talking about next week. Coming to the end of summer here. Uh, some stuff has already ended and whatnot. But the following week, we will we'll start with our fall preview a series of podcasts uh, talking about Fox, uh, followed by ABC, CBS, NBC, etc., uh, through September. And uh, with that, uh, thank you again, uh, Jennifer and Kate, for joining me on episode 335. So much fun. It's always, always a pleasure, Jason. <laughs>